What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 138 of Two Black Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that love, y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have merchandise that's available now at Two Black blacknerds.com go check out our nerds of thunder collection inspired by thor love and thunder we got t-shirts connect hoodie stickers mugs and tote bags so go ahead and place those orders right now on today's show we'll be reviewing episode two of she hulk attorney at law as usual we'll be recapping all of the major moments from this week's episode but before we get to any and all of that we're kicking off this podcast with a few news items starting with some updates on the dc side of things so obviously we know that dc is certainly in a state of flux as is the entire war Warner Brothers Discovery Company is. We've talked a lot about some of the transitional changes that they've been going through. They're now under new leadership ever since the merger happened with Warner Brothers and Discovery just a few months ago. But this has affected a lot of things. Not only have changes been coming across to HBO Max, content is being removed frequently. Films have been canceled. We talked a lot about Batgirl. Scoob has also been canceled. Also, mm-hmm. some things are now getting shifted in their release calendar. We actually just got news that two movies that were slated to come out in the coming months are actually going to be movie moving from the DC side of things. The first one to be Shazam! Fury of the Gods. We were expecting this movie to actually come out this December 21st of 2022. That film is now being pushed back to March 17th of 2023, taking the place of Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, which is now moved from that date all the way until December 25th of 2023 so definitely a much bigger change for aquaman and the lost kingdom than shazam shazam's only a few months being pushed back and it's also interesting because shazam was supposed to come out in 2023 to begin with it was going to come out next Mm -hmm. june i believe got pushed up and now it's being pushed back with these two particular movies it doesn't seem like there's one standard case as to why they were pushed back it seems like that there were a multitude of reasons let's start with aquaman first because that is a more significant pushback i think it's about nine months that that's being delayed. Apparently, according to The Hollywood Reporter, this movie is facing more production challenges in terms of post-production. Obviously, we know Aquaman takes place mostly in a fictional world of Atlantis. There are a ton of VFX shots. The first Aquaman film took a tremendously long time to make, and this one is no exception, and probably even on a larger scale than even that first film that I would, ima- that I would imagine. We also know that the VFX industry has had a ton of issues. There's been a lot of backup, mm-hmm. a lot of things that are you know sort of on the chopping block, and there's been yeah. a lot of criticism about artists being worked overtime and going into crunch mode. So it seems as if the Aquaman delay was more so for post-production reasons, which is why it was pushed back to begin with. It was supposed to come out December of this year mm-hmm. and it got pushed back to March and now it's getting pushed back almost an entire year, basically an entire year from when we were initially supposed to see it. On the other side, Shazam being pushed back seems to be related to a couple of reasons. David F. Sandberg, the director, actually went on Twitter to say, hey, this December, Avatar The Way of Water, the long-awaited Avatar sequel, is taking all of the IMAX and premium large format screens. So this is actually better for us because in March we'll have access to those. But right now Avatar is basically swallowing all the available premium large format screens in the world because Mm -hmm. of how huge of a movie it is. All of those things are already booked up. In addition to that, 
The Hollywood Reporter has also said that Warner Brothers Discovery is looking to spread out their marketing costs for these movies. And so they only have two movies left on their slate for this year in Don't Worry Darling and I believe another movie they have coming out later this year. And so they wanted to spread out the marketing costs. And this is also, I think, a part of an initiative of the new CEO, David Zaslav, to try to get them out of debt. They are significantly in debt as a company at this moment, and so I think that he's trying to spread things out a little bit. With all of that said, with all of that information out there from what we know about these delays, what's your reaction to this, to seeing these movies be pushed back even further? Man, I mean, you know, even the the reasons in which they're pushing these movie movies back make a lot of sense to me, especially specifically speaking to Shazam, where they're saying... Avatar is a behemoth, <laughs> and it's going to take up all the screens. We don't like that. Um, and, and as a fan, uh, I understand that decision completely. I think, you know, we, we talked about that, that first Shazam uh, uh, quite a bit here in the past, uh, within the past couple weeks, and it's a good film. Of course, we, we like the story, but it also I, I also like the way the movie looks, too. It's, it looks pretty good. And so I can I would be mad if the time came around and we couldn't see that in the IMAX, we always see it in, you know what I mean? Because Avatar's on the screen. Of course, I'm ex- I'm still I'm still very much excited for Avatar. I would love to see it. But I believe blockbusters should have their own space. You know what I mean? And, and so I, I really think um, that, that, that that whole thing makes sense there. You talk, you, I mean, man, you, you really spoke to this too. Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom being pushed back only gives more time to make that movie more nuts as as it is um, <laughs> right uh and so I, I think i'm really excited to see that movie be polished i'm okay with them pushing it back a little bit especially again in, in the light of everything that's going down in dc right now between the self-discovery figuring out your future plan it's like spaces can be good um and to make to make these things i think refined right if black adam is the movie that they hope and we, we expect it to be, the talk of Black Adam is going to last, hopefully past October. You know what I mean? We'll get to the end of the year. Other movies will come out. We'll only slightly, again, only slightly forget about DC until it's time to ramp up Shazam again in March. It's really not that crazy of a gap as it sounds. And I'm okay, again, with, with Shazam kind of having that space um, um, to breathe there. Again, when it, comes, when it comes to Aquaman, man, I just really think that there's... there's uh, uh, even, again, even more time to make that movie nuts. But also, you know, I think this is a franchise that if 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 you're creating space, Shazam, say Shazam is amazing. You only ramp up more excitement and more eyes on Aquaman by the end of the year. Like people are going to be like, sure, it, that's a big gap, right? December or March and December is a huge gap in terms of the beginning of the year to the end of the year. But what's, what are the what are the in-betweens? Is something or things... DC coming out on streaming, you know, like what what's happening in the in between time. Is there a more clear vision in that time too that we can? Well, let's see? not forget Flash is in there. It's still in yep. June, so exactly. yeah. Flash is still in there. So it's it's just very, uh, uh, I think obvious that they the, the, that this I think makes sense when when they lay it all out for us. And so, um, like you said, Flash is in there. Boom, boom, boom. Three. It, they're they're talking about looking in the ways that in which Marvel operates. That's a Marvel operation to me. Beginning of the year, summer, Christmas time, or you know what I mean, at least fall ish. Uh, and so, hey, I, I think that's a good job in terms of, again, one the reasons because I'm trying to see Shazam in IMAX. I don't know about everybody else. <laughs> um, and then, and then two again, just coming with more clear vision and them even being 
transparent enough to tell us the reasons in which they're doing this makes a ton of sense to me, I think. Um, and, and I'm happy they're doing that because some movie studios would just push something and we'll be right here on the show. Like, so why do you think they pushed it back? You know what I mean? Instead of like them actually telling us like, no, these are the reasons we're very, being very candid about this. Like it doesn't always happen like that. And so I'm really, I, I, that makes me feel good as a DC fan. Like, okay, you're being honest with us about the things that are going on. And so I'm, these, this, this makes sense to me, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to start with the Aquaman side of things. I, I think that nine months is a long time, and obviously I want to see this movie as, as soon as possible. By the time it does come out, it'll be a full five years since the first one, which I really adore wow. that movie. But I would be a hypocrite personally to sit on here and be upset at the decision to push it back if it is based off of post-production things because... All the stuff that we say about Marvel and the VFX industry and just like some of the issues and challenges that exist there and how I think lately a lot of people, including myself, have been critical of VFX where it's like, okay, now a movie is actually saying we're going to take the time to push this back, work on this more, make it look the best that it possibly can. Then ultimately, I have to be here to support that. I think that that's a wise decision. That's what you should be doing. You should get things in the best shape that they can possibly be before we see them as an audience. Because the last thing I would want to do is to walk into a theater watching Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom. And then every single frame, which so much of it uh, will be VFX, I'm going to be kind of taken out of the movie because it doesn't look all that great. So I trust in James Wan and that team that they need the time and that they're going to get the time that they need to, to make sure that this looks as pristine as it should ultimately. On the Shazam side of things, it is only a few months. Like, what's really the big deal? We weren't supposed to get the movie technically in December anyway, mm-hmm. so we're still getting it sooner than than initial initially um, was the plan from DC and Warner Brothers. And, you know, to avoid Avatar The Way of Water is the wise thing to do. And I, people are, for some reason, still doubting James Cameron and still presenting him as the underdog as if he has not dealt with this before as if he's not been in this position before. I mean, people have made him the underdog since like T2. He was the underdog with T2. He was the underdog with Titanic. The first Avatar, people counted him out, and he comes and delivers every single time. And so, folks, just don't be surprised if Avatar The Way of Water comes out and it's like the biggest movie of the year. year. Just don't be surprised by that. So to avoid that and to get out of the way of that is a smart business move. If you want Shazam to be the best possible outcome of what it could you know live up to then then move it just move it it's it's no big deal we can wait and again that'll you know that'll also put it in a position to be the most successful so i'm really not mad at either of these of course selfishly again as a fan you want to see them as soon as possible we have one less superhero movie coming out this year but you know if they're also you know spreading out the marketing cost business wise that also makes sense like we still get Black Adam this year at the end of the day, and hopefully that is a good movie that can hold us over until next March. Um, still within the DC world side of things, this is even more significant. Apparently, they might have found their new leader. They might have found their quote-unquote Kevin Feige, which they have been looking for. We know that the new leadership has been looking for somebody to head up DC film and TV. And according to the direct, um, actually not the direct, excuse me, the Hollywood reporter, um, apparently Dan Lin, producer Dan Lin, is in talks to take control of both TV and film for DC. Now, Dan Lin, he's been a longtime producer in Hollywood. He's had a 25-year career or something like that. Um, Some of his most notable credits that I think our audience would probably 
recognize are the Warner Brothers Sherlock Holmes films that starred Robert Downey Jr. Jr. and Jude Law um, a few years ago. They're also looking to make a third one of that. Those were hugely successful. The Lego Movie franchise, so the Lego Movies Parts 1 and 2, the Lego Batman, which were also really, really successful. Of course, the It franchise, which was a behemoth in terms of horror films. He was behind those, and he also helped produce Aladdin. Um, And his career, again, goes back a very, very long way. He had a hand in producing The Departed, Martin Scorsese's movie, he was also a part of 10,000 BC. So he's been around Warner Brothers for quite a while. Also has previously worked with Alan Horn, who was heading up their division before he went to Disney and then ultimately ended up back at Warner Brothers just most recently with this new regime. Um, if Dan Lin is the person to now be in charge of DC, what do you think of this move? Do you think he's the right person just based off of his pedigree and his history? And ultimately, what do you think that this might mean for at least the next few years of DC and Warner Brothers? I mean, look at the resume. Clearly, the man knows how to produce not only some films but some franchises. Man, I really like the I really like the the Sherlock Holmes films. We know Lego Movie. Oh man, so successful. Whether it's a regular Lego Movie or Lego Batman, it franchise like you just said did really great. Uh, um, things for Warner Brothers at that time too. Were really, everybody was talking about it <laughs> when it when that came out. So clearly, again, the man has a resume on him. Um, and so again, just looking at that, I think he has what it takes to get things done and things done properly. Right. None of these really scream bad or I don't know, give me any red flags to say, don't hire this guy. Um, I, I, I think, you know, if this is their Kevin Feige, my only next question again, for Kevin, we talked about this before, um, Kevin when when Kevin Feige's brought up, we we always have to mention that this dude is just a superhero nerd. Kevin Feige probably knows just as much about DC as he does Marvel. Like Kevin Feige reads comics. He's been here, you know. He's been on sets, comic book sets before he was the um, um, the producer over at, at, at um, Marvel. And so it's just a different kind of guy, right? Now I'm wondering is Dan Lin in that same realm of nerdum? If he's not, again, I just feel like he, he should have a counterpart that could be like, look, bro, this is how DC goes. I have been on, I don't know, I've worked on The Dark Knight. I read these comics over here, these comics over here. Like, I don't know. Uh, that That's the only thing. I just don't know enough about him personally. But again, from a business standpoint, in his resume, I have no reason to say this isn't your guy. And so I, 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 I have to say, like, this looks good to me, man um again we'll have to see uh uh if if this is really him if you know all we really can't know until work is done right like this really all it is um but what we can do is is hope for the best (laughs) and say look if 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 you're if zaslav right is is if you're putting your eggs into this basket i'm hoping it's a good basket um and and go from there man yeah, apparently he may have that that nerd gene in him. Um, he also was a part of the team that was initially going to produce George Miller's Justice League film, which ultimately got killed mm-hmm. way back in 2008, I believe. And according to Dan Lin, like just based off of the the interviews that he's done over the years, when people bring that up, he's talked about how passionate he was about that project and how ultimately he was upset that it did not move forward, that he mm-hmm. he had a real passion for those characters and to be a part of that world, a part of you know DC and the Justice League and those those iconic franchises and how heartbreaking that was to see that movie 
ultimately end up not getting made. Now, that's what he says. He does not necessarily have the credits to back that up just yet. And in addition to that, I don't think it does Dan Lin any favors to constantly compare him to Kevin Feige. Like even even in this article, you know, they, they, they title it <laughs> that DC has found their Kevin Feige and that, you know, that nobody can really live up to that comparison. It's re- uh-huh. it's just not fair. And, and it's important to know that Kevin Feige was not always Kevin Feige. At, at first, he was just yep. just like another associate producer. You know, all that stuff that he worked on, it took him years and years and years to develop the reputation that he has now as the face of Marvel Studios. But mm-hmm. the guy worked on so many different franchises that worked. Some did work, some didn't work. Um, he did that for like a good 10 years before anything really popped off with Iron Man. And even when Iron Man came out, People didn't know who Kevin Feige was. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was until probably like around the first Avengers movie where people started to take notice because he would be at those panels. I mean, he was at the he was at the earlier panels like around Iron Man two and Captain America the first Avenger. His face was getting out there more and more as mm-hmm. you know the leader of Marvel. But the guy started off with nothing. He started off with like a corner office that had you know room for like two seats. You know, like if you read the history of Marvel book, like. He just was not always in the position that he is now. So even Dan Lin, though he has a long pedigree in Hollywood, so did Walter Hamada, who's been leading up things for like the past four or five years. Walter Hamada had a great resume, worked a lot with James Wan and did did a lot of those franchises from the Conjuring universe and other things with the Warner Brothers. And I think Walter Hamada has done a decent job. But again, the constant reshuffling and resetting, Mm -hmm. it's not a it's not a benefit to anybody. Nobody can grow in this position if they're not allowed the runway to do so mm-hmm. like Kevin Feige was to yeah. become who he is that took a good decade you know so Dan Lin ultimately I think it's going to come down to in the in the short term is what he's going to be able to do going to be successful can he produce something that feels successful and cohesive and well received by general audiences and then on top of that can he sustain that momentum over the course of years and years and years to ultimately build up that same t- sort of reputation to be the face potentially in the leader of, of what the new DC film and TV regime will be. We'll have to see, but I definitely think he has the resume to do so. He just needs the time and opportunity if he's good enough. Um, let's move over to the Marvel side of things. We do got one quick news item. I should mention first before actually saying this out loud, that this is just a rumor. This is not confirmed, but sources are saying that this is, this is, looking to possibly be true and that is that matt shackman who previously directed wandavision for marvel studios is strongly rumored to be directing the fantastic four movie that they're going to be producing which we now know is coming out in 2025 i believe top of 2025 based off of that that previous hall h panel that they just rolled out a couple of weeks ago matt shackman is again somebody who's worked with marvel before he hasn't directed a feature film, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, but he has a ton of TV credits. I mean, he's done everything you can do in TV. On top of the Marvel stuff, he's directed an episode of Game of Thrones, a quite good one at that. He's yep. done stuff for Succession. He's directed episodes of The Boys. I mean, the guy has a resume for TV. He knows what he's doing in that space. Feature film is a totally different animal, of course, but what do you think about Matt Shagman possibly being the one that's going to helm this film This ultimately... In very important film, I think for for the you know Phase Five and just the future of the MCU in general. Uh, it's really interesting, man, and hard to put my finger on because his TV credits are just insane. You just said some of them. The Boys is crazy. Game of Thrones is crazy. Uh, uh, I think he, Fargo. I mean, he's he's just he's done it all. It's always sunny and Philip. The dude has like the craziest range <laughs> of just television credits um, that we've seen. And so you you also said it, but movies are a different behemoth it's a different 
kind of thing to take on. And so, of course, I have to be a little bit worried, right? It's like, okay, sometimes TV doesn't always translate to film as someone might think it does or we we've actually seen this before where there there are tv directors and producers that try to get into directing a feature film and, and the first one usually doesn't go sometimes doesn't go that well for them um but again this dude is so uh, uh decorated in the tv space i have to be at least a little bit hopeful that if this if this is our guy um that he can pull it off man he's wandavision again was was you know the the mcu show that really broke a lot of the mold for for uh, the MCU shows. I know a lot of people wouldn't even have gone on to watch a Loki if WandaVision didn't do what it did. Just because I know people that weren't even interested in Loki before, but they were like, "Man, I loved WandaVision so much. I'm going to go watch Loki." And so I think that success makes sense to 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 offer him up, you know, um, a job like this. But I have to say, man, this is Fantastic Four is a baby. Like this is. Just as much as I talk about um, um, how X uh, Men needs to be cradled, of course I'm biased. I don't think Fantastic Four is X Men by any means, but it's still a very precious baby that ha you got to come out the gate. Like people know what's coming, people know what's important that it's coming because it opens up so many other things, you know, that we talked about. Um, and so it it I don't know. They have to be careful with this. Uh, look, me, I'm over here like, just get Brad Bird. <laughs> like, he's already <laughs> done it. Um, but, it, I, I, again, I think if if he is able to come in and do a feature film on the first time, uh, it, it, I also found out he's doing an untitled Star Trek film that he's doing. And that will be, shoot, before Fantastic Four comes out, right? That, that That's happening. And so, man, uh, maybe... If the Star Trek film goes well, maybe that's like our, you know what I mean? This is this is this is our gauge to see can this guy direct a feature film? And so if I think that'll be a, again our test to figure out if this is our guy or not. Um, but again, based off the resume, man, I have to be hopeful. Yeah, I, should, I actually stand corrected that he has directed one feature film, which came all the way out back in 2014. Um, so he does have one credit under his belt, but most notably, yes, TV is is where he's you know really made his name and in, in his career. Look, you know, Marvel Studios they they've plucked out directors from the TV space before. Most notably, I think the the easy example to to bring back up is the Russo brothers. Obviously, they did have film credits as well. Um, but they were most known for their work on community and, mm -hmm. and, and working with an ensemble cast. And that ultimately helped them really transition into the MCU, dealing with just the massive amount of characters that they had here. So it's not necessarily unprecedented for them, but they do typically find directors that have some directing experience in the feature film space. He does. I, I do stand corrected there. But even other directors, they've, they've typically maybe done two films or three films. They, they mm -hmm. might be smaller, of course, and they, they, they take them and, you know, turn these indie darlings into household names. But Matt Shagman is a little bit different in that respect. But I think it ultimately just comes down to another person that they work with before they have a relationship with, which seems to be like something that they're they're really stressing is, is an importance, you know, sort of an important factor for them moving ahead. They are not perfect when it comes to director relationships. There there have been directors that they've worked with before where things kind of fall through the cracks and don't really work out to their benefit or even to the director's benefit. And so I think that they're kind of in a place of finding people that they can trust to put them in positions, hopefully, to succeed based off of their prior work. Although WandaVision is a TV show, we know a lot of their even their TV productions are kind of shot like films. They don't really mm -hmm. shoot them like TV shows. They yeah. cut them up that way, but their whole production runs just like a really long film like a nine hour film or a six hour film whatever the case may be so i think in terms of the style 
it might not be too jarring. Like, of course, it'll be bigger, much bigger scale, much more money, you know, obviously a much more recognizable name that has a lot of pressure on it to, to deliver and succeed. But um, I, I wouldn't have picked him, but it seems like it makes sense. You know, I would not have picked him as like my first choice. I had other mm-hmm. people, you know, floating around my head. I thought that they were going to bring in somebody different and new. But considering the work that he's done with WandaVision, which I mostly liked for, for, for the majority of it, I think he's good. And, and ultimately, he could really succeed and take it places that I wouldn't have expected. Because I, I wouldn't have thought that John Watts would have been like perfect for Spider-Man. But it turned out he was really, really great for those That's films. True. And so... We just kind of have to wait and see how it all pans out, but we'll we'll see as things continue to shake out with all of these respective stories. But let's go ahead and transition and talk about the reason why we're here finally and get to this week's episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Episode two just recently premiered on Disney+. Plus. Of course, the series is created by Jessica Gao. Episode two, and I believe all the episodes are directed by Kat Koiro. And this week's episode was entitled Superhuman Law. And so after last week's episode, which really presented us with the origin story of She-Hulk and established her relationship with her cousin, Bruce Banner, we now transition into sort of a new phase of the series. I think the more traditional lawyer aspect of the series with this week's episode. But before we talk about like all the actual details of this week's episode, generally, what were your thoughts and what was your reaction to the new episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law? You know, after, you know, last week in... You know, finding out that it the the first episode would have potentially been the penultimate episode. Um, I still, part of me does still disagree with the idea to do that. Um, you know, we kind of talked about that a little bit, but I think we 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 come in here into this episode and we get a little bit more of of really Jen and her surround in her surrounding community, what her family is like. Um, a little bit more about what her personal life is like. Um, and I think it's fine and, and pretty entertaining. Um, and uh, most of most of the things in She-Hulk that work better for me, to be honest, is when she's not in She-Hulk form. <laughs> and so I, I got more of that this week. And so I found myself uh, uh, being, uh, I wouldn't say more interested, but um, definitely just liking a couple things. Uh, a little bit better than last week's. I would actually probably put them on par. I think I feel the same about both episodes. Like, man, that was fine. I had fun watching it. Um, and I, I just love to see really Tatiana Maslany act. I think she's a tremendous actress. And so any t- moment that she's able to do that, I think the show shines. And I think that's why I'm kind of saying when she's not in she hope form and the CGI is kind of not there, I get to see her emotions and kind of her emotes come through um for her again to do her best work and so um i think also think this episode does a good good job of just moving things um we'll talk about again we'll we'll be in in spoilers later but there's a decent amount in here that's like okay i can actually see where all of this is going and we don't always get that from these mcu shows it's like okay well what's happening next episode but here we're like oh i know exactly where this is going there's very much a lot of now uh, a good amount of the lawyer stuff that I, I was talking about. Um, and so uh, that I was looking forward to, I guess I should say. And, and a lot of that is happening. And so, man, I, I, I find myself again still here, still entertained. Um, and I'm ready to see more, to be honest. But uh, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I can't wait for um, some more stuff to 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 transpire because this very does feel like a somewhat i don't I, I guess you can kind of call it fillery it, it is but it isn't um but it, it's very much a bridge to to what we're about to see so again i enjoyed it um still not the greatest thing in the world and still not bad 
it's just fine. And I think that's okay for for um, the direction we're headed in. Certainly. Episode two doesn't change my feelings about this series in any significant way in either direction. I thought it was a fine episode. It was cool. You know, I didn't I didn't hate it. I didn't love it, but it was a good, pretty, pretty good episode. Ultimately, the thing that I like the best is that we are finally getting to the more uh, traditional, I think, lawyer show that, that we sort of expected coming into this. Last week's episode was mostly entertaining, and it was interesting to see the relationship between her and Bruce really be cultivated by her transition into becoming She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. But got to be honest, that's not the show that I'm quite here for. I am much more interested in the MCU trying to do something a little bit different with the lawyer aspect. That might be silly on my part because we know that Marvel's going to be Marvel at the end of the day, and they have to service their fans in, in, in specific ways. But to dive more into the the human element of her work life and, and what that looks like and how that's also connected with her personal life and her family, that's the stuff that I'm, I'm here for. And so to start to really step into that world and see what that looks like, a lot of it worked for me in this particular episode. I still mm-hmm. feel the same way about the comedy. I didn't necessarily laugh at anything, but there were few moments where i had smiles come across my face where i'm like oh that was that was clever or that was you know funny but i didn't necessarily laugh and so i'm still expecting maybe the comedy to be punched up a little bit but there are some some more hilarious things that kind of happen that you might not necessarily catch and realize the first time through that you go back and look at and you're like wow that's that's funny as hell and so <laughs> i think that they're really clever with the way that they implement certain things drop in easter eggs here and there and ultimately connect this character to the larger MCU and just make that, I think, a more meaningful piece of the of the entire puzzle that they're telling with Phase 4 and beyond. So ultimately, it was still fine. I like that it's a little bit more grounded than what we saw last week, and it ultimately sets us in the direction of where this show is going to go, at least for the next few episodes, because they, they certainly set up the premise here. So I'm glad that we at least know what the immediate story for the rest of this is going to be. So with that said, let's talk about spoilers. Let's get into it. If you haven't seen this week's episode of She-Hulk, go watch it and come back as we pick up. The first thing I want to talk about is just kind of the celebrity of She-Hulk. So we did see at the end of last week's episode that she turned into She-Hulk form in the courtroom when she had to save the jury and pretty much everybody else is there from Titania, I think her name is, who has now been dubbed this influencer supervillain which is you know a little a little funny that that she's like a supervillain but really on just social media exclusively but now she hulk is kind of a celebrity because she was a hero i think people look at her and think she looks cool with her green form and she Mm -hmm. becomes she becomes bigger and now you see all these news clippings about the reports coming out of how she saved the jury and people are giving her a name and dubbing her she hulk and she doesn't really like this she is definitely reluctant reluctant to having this new level of notoriety and I think it kind of represents both a gift and a curse of what it means to be She-Hulk. And it, it kind of harken, harkens back to the first words that we heard last week when she when she uttered the words, what is the responsibility of those with power? I was thinking mm. about that a lot this episode. And so I felt like that was reflected in just this newfound status and celebrity of, mm-hmm. of, of Jennifer Walters and She-Hulk at large. So what did you just think about that? How it introduced us to the character again in this episode, how we saw people really gravitate towards her. She goes to the bar and they're cheering her name. People want her to be She-Hulk, like, you know, change and turn into your green form. They're giving her names. What did you think about just seeing this this whole media firestorm really circle around her after saving all of those people in the courtroom last week? You know, I think it's interesting how they're in a world now where superheroes have been around for such a long time. And now they've been just seen kind of as deities and how fast that you can become a deity to them or a god to them overnight. Uh, the woman changes into She-Hulk 
and literally the next day she's like she blows up you know and people are giving her her name and it's just really crazy how fast i think all of that happens versus uh, uh i don't know early in the mcu i feel like people in in that world would have been a little bit more reluctant like mm, i don't know about this guy you know what i mean or even when civil war was going down and sokovia Accords is going down it's just you're just thinking about i'm just thinking about like i don't know how on the fence some people were you know the, the the general population was and i think it's crazy um to see how jen is glorified here uh, uh especially as somebody who very much clearly not that she doesn't want the responsibility but it's also like now now that it's a part of her she like almost wishes people didn't didn't want it didn't know that was a part of her um but like you said it's that responsibility piece it's like well the the courtroom's on fire i have to turn into she hulk <laughs> there's not much i can do about that you know what i mean it's like well i have the power and so i have to you know do this thing um and i think that presents an interesting problem for her especially because the way the comics work there what there are moments which i think we we will see later on there are moments where jen uh, uh again in the comics where she ends up loving her She-Hulk form more than her normal form. Shoot, in fact, it's there's a moment where she she's with Fantastic Four, and like some she gets hit with some kind of space radiation, and she doesn't have a choice but to stay into that form, kind of the same way um, that we see Bruce stuck in his form. So I think uh, uh, it'll 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 be interesting to see how much she embraces She-Hulk versus how much she misses Jen, you know, I think this will be kind of a, a a slightly different problem than what Bruce had, whether he was like, I'm just trying to contain all anger. Jen is like, mm, I don't know who I want to be. You know what I mean? Bruce was, Bruce was trying to get rid of the Hulk by all means possible. He put a bullet in his mouth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he was, he was not having it, but Jen is like, man, I, she Hulk now she's, she's starting to see that she Hulk gets her places that she might not have gotten before with this new power and so again i think i like this struggle and and i'm going to like this struggle in watching the times in which she embraces she hulk and the times in which she pushes she hulk away and so yeah man it, it, we'll see what happens um but it's, it's very interesting territory i think i think the world at large the mcu that we exist in now many of the people are looking for heroes because we have lost these pillars in this superhero community Iron Man is dead. Captain mm -hmm. America is presumed to be dead. The world thinks that he's passed on, right. as well as Black Lit Widow. You know, these original stalwarts, these original Avengers who were so key in saving the world time and time and time again that people, I think, ultimately latched on to. And now they're gone. And so I believe that a lot of the people in this world are looking for a hero. So at the first moment, an opportunity where they can see like, oh, here's a new female hero who's just as strong, just as intelligent, just as fast as Bruce even may be as the Hulk. They gravitate towards that and they really latch on to that and, and, and get carried away too because it's not often fair to put people in that particular position and put them under that pressure. And I do think it's a gift and a curse for, for Jen in this position because yes, physically she can now do things that nobody else is capable of except Bruce, but also there's now a new level of responsibility that she shouldn't necessarily have to adhere to and she also shouldn't have to answer for certain things there's even that moment in the bar when her co-worker her colleague dennis who we briefly saw last week and we're briefly seeing again this week who's like this kind of 
I don't know, like a cartoonish, sexist character. You know, he thinks that he thinks that she's doing this just to like get publicity for being a lawyer. That she's just become She Hulk to to really drum up her career. You know, so he's he's presuming that she's doing this, and then even further than that, she ultimately gets fired from her current firm because. They agree that she did the right right thing in that particular situation, but ultimately it swayed the jury. They had to declare it a mistrial, so it just ultimately made the firm look bad, and so they had to let her go. So though she's choosing the high road, she's being, I think, what a hero should be, especially in really difficult circumstances, mm-hmm. she's getting punished for it. And she she mentioned that, you know, throughout this episode. Like, why am I getting punished for doing the right thing? And, you know, I think that's that's kind of, you know, the the weight and the responsibility responsibility that a lot of these heroes you know sort of bear and and they have to deal with those challenges captain america who you know has been talked about and referenced in the show a lot that was all all about that character in in his time in the mcu as you said like they weren't always beloved like captain america was considered a fugitive for Mm -hmm. some years at a particular time and people looked at him like oh he's kind of on the run from the government he seems like he's doing some really shady stuff what's going on here we don't know if cap is really the guy to rally around and then ultimately he does save humanity and so now there's like a a beloved nature to him again so i think i think she's wrestling with that so it's a it's a typical trope that we see but it's still interesting to get it from her perspective as somebody who just wants to be a lawyer who wants to help people in that particular way but now she has to be a hulk and on top of that it physically changes her it's not just like the actual responsibility of being a hero now Mm -hmm. she looks a particular way and people want her to look that particular way so there's an added layer that nobody else can really relate to in that respect and we see that really displayed when she ultimately gets hired by glk and h this other firm and she's now offered the opportunity to work with their superhuman law division and they give her this nice big brand new office they give her a fully stocked fridge like she's getting the works but a condition of her employment is that she has to go to work as She-Hulk. People want her to parade around looking like <laughs> She-Hulk because she's now the head of the superhuman law division. And so as a, as the as the leading face for that, well, we want you to look like a hero. And you also have to do hero work. And so that's also interesting, too, that there's that physical component there that, I, you know, again, I don't think a lot of other heroes have to deal with. Um, how, how, how do you see that whole thing playing out? Her physically have, having to, you know, really sort of illustrate who she is. She can't, she can't hide this. I mean, she can, but not a lot of people are giving her the opportunity to just like be normal. She has to actually like hulk out and turn green and she's dealing with that responsibility because she can be she can be, you know, conscious in that form. She doesn't turn into this monster. Mm-hmm. She's still just Jennifer, but now she's like six foot seven and green. And so what do you think about people having her, you know, sort of display that on a constant basis? Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a, a crazy concept where I don't know, a lot of times you see heroes and I think their ass, I don't know, like, Spider-Man, do a flip, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But everyone's just like, Jen, go green, <laughs> kind of type thing. Um, I, I think that's so interesting because, like you said, a lot of heroes don't have to deal with that. Nobody sees Ant-Man and it's like, can you shrink for me? Or like, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, like, that, that, just uh. doesn't, that just doesn't happen. And so uh, it's, it's it's crazy that, that Jen is, is, is being asked to do this, especially in a professional setting imagine i don't know us being black and i don't know and they go in there and they ask you something crazy every day like uh, like imagine they know you you like music or just because you know what i'm saying they're like okay desmond give me 10 bars and you're just like what <laughs> like in, in in order to work here you have to give me 10 bars every day when you walk in it's like damn crazy. that's that's what i'm doing like do y'all even really like me for me 
<laughs> at all. It's like, why am I here? And so I think it's hard for, for Jen as a, as a woman, first and foremost, but also as a woman who she, more than anything, more than being She-Hulk, she just wants to use her freaking law degree. She's like, I worked my ass off. And she said over $100,000 in loans in order to be a lawyer. I'm going to use this shit. And so, uh, uh, again, I, it's, it, I, I love seeing this where I think we know where she's going to end up, right? Like, I think she'll, she'll, she'll enjoy her time being a lawyer for superheroes and, and antiheroes and things like that. But right now, it's like, I, I love that she's trying to find her place and like, what is the balance between uh, uh, corporate America, me having to do this tap dancing and me actually having work and, you know, having money you know what i mean to to do the things that i need to do so it's a very again interesting problem but i love how uh, um we're going to pick that apart you know some, a little by little in order to get there um and, and what everything that comes with it but it's crazy that she has to go through this in the first place because because uh, again another thing that's different once niggas become superheroes they don't work anymore you could argue that that tony did but that's part of his legacy right like he's he's just he's iron man but also he's such a genius pepper was running all kind of other stuff <laughs> that he had to do no more you know what i'm saying and so like when bruce is the whole when's the last time bruce got some money who knows tony built that compound for him you know what i'm saying like once people become superheroes they don't do anything we know captain or we know falcon now captain america is broke we know Sam is broke. <laughs> he don't. He doesn't have any money coming in. So it's just I don't know. It's it's crazy to see how she she is one of the only few people that has to actually go get it done. My only other argument is Spider Man. We knew that nigga to be broke, but he went to go save the world. You know what I'm saying? But he worked, and so I think I I, I like that. Now we're seeing Jen kind of go through the same things that Spider Man has to go through too, where it's like, eh, I still have to go to work after I take this mask and stuff off, but. Again, she is a public figure versus nobody knows the Spider Man's identity. So it's 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 really interesting stuff. They double down that the Avengers do not get any money this week. I mean, she asked all the questions that I think we know the answer to. Is there a pension? Is there health care? Do they get Hell paid? No. What does it look like? They sure don't. Uh, the, they, they are broke. This is not a fully funded operation, <laughs> at least not anymore. Tony Tony used to fund everything, but I think there's a really interesting arc there. I think her coming to grips with who she is and accepting that and figuring out what that balance is going to be. They, they, they have the potential to make this like really, really, I think, pivotal and just different than everything else they've done before because... There's also just, again, that physical component because she's going to fight crime. She's not just going to, like, stand by and let things happen. Just like in episode one, like, she physically intervened to stop Titania. So what does that look like in addition to having a law career where you're not supposed to be putting your hands on people? So I think that there's, like, a really good opportunity to expound upon that, hopefully, within the rest of the story. We also got to look at her family, too, which I think the phase four has been focusing a lot on family. We've seen a lot of family in phase four, a lot more of these normal lifestyles that people live outside of their superhuman existence. And we saw family in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Most recently, we just saw Miss Marvel's family. That was really integral to her story. Spider-Man's family has been, been you know, certainly a big part of his storylines. The Eternals themselves are mm -hmm. family. And so I think we're spending more time, especially with these TV series, these more long-form storytelling format, where we get to see these relationships that are that are that are connected to our main heroes you know and just by extension we get to also see like what they're going through what did you think about just like seeing jen's family here and them being a part of the story you know one thing that's really uh crazy about her family it is that it's different from the rest of the mcu 
it's just a bunch of like caring men around her. One, we know Bruce is her friend, but like her father is actually super supportive. You know what I mean? And like, it's all kind of just, I don't know, just men in the room that actually cares about what Jen has going on. And even beyond caring, present. You know, a lot of these superheroes don't have male figures present in their life at all, unless they're mentoring somebody or something like that. So this is kind of crazy uh, uh, to see this family in this way. I also love just how, I don't know how funny they are to me, because you, ha- you have to talk about uh, old boy who's literally looking for, uh, talking about, uh, I keep I keep wanting to say it, but Hawkeye's arrows. Um, and the whole time he's like, where do those things go? <laughs> I'm like, that's, a, that's kind of a great question because you know arrows unless unless it's, it's an exploding arrow they kind of just stay there somebody had to clean it up or something um i, I think that's a funny question uh but man it, it it's really interesting to see a character who's actually loved and has a family around the people around her um so it, it it's really refreshing to see but so it, because it's so different than anything we've gotten um and i think you know that that will play a part somewhat in the gin you know that 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 we see because now uh, i even thinking about just her upbringing and the ways in which she was even able to go to law school where some of these people probably couldn't even do that you know what i'm saying or yeah i don't know it's it's, it's, it's a very interesting take um i think it, from what we've seen before but i think it's really cool though because we never get it so uh i, I like it man yeah, it's fun to see them here. It's also nice to see that they have like a big family too, and they do have like really supportive men. And her father is super supportive, and he's there for her, and he's sweet, and he's you know comforting with his words. Like you know, you can get through this. You're still standing right now. Like, don't think that losing this job is going to define who you are. Mm-hmm. I want them to hopefully go back to having Hulk present. Like, what's it going to look like when Bruce walks through that door, and they can like talk about <laughs> being Hulks together, and then the rest yeah. of the family reacts? But yeah, to your point, it's also. <laughs> again the curse of her being she hulk now they want stuff from her not only just information like the hawkeye stuff but we saw in the post credit scene like she's doing errands she's yeah. doing all the handiwork she's carrying water jugs and it's like picking you know do cars. you really need this much water yeah she's picking <laughs> up cars so they can change tires like she's doing all this handiwork to make their lives easier so they're also you know leveraging that new relationship that they have with her um we should talk about the other big thing from this episode which was the reveal or the reintroduction at least of tim roth as emil blonsky aka abomination which is a character We've not seen at least Tim Roth's version of the character since the 2008 Incredible Hulk film. Now, of course, Abomination was in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings last fall, but we did not see Tim Roth, you know, as as his human form. We only saw the creature Abomination, but Tim Roth is actually back in this in this universe. And so I remember when they announced this a few years ago, this was a big surprise because... They've typically distanced themselves so far from that movie just because of the elephant in the room, the fact that Edward Norton was recast ultimately as Mark Ruffalo and that relationship fell through. And Mark Ruffalo has done a tremendous job in the role over the past 10 years. But they've circled back to it, not only with having Tim Roth included here, but obviously including a weakening joke to the fact that, yes, Hulk has literally changed as a person, so he doesn't hold any <laughs> grudges. And yes, nice, 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 cool little nod there. But uh, Tim Roth back here, man. It's uh, it's it's curious. I mean, we don't typically see them lean much into that Incredible Hulk movie. It's one of those outliers. It's like the redheaded stepchild, I think, of the MCU. Um, and and we see him in in sort of a reformed state here, talking about what he's been dealing with all these years. How 
Bruce has been identified as the hero, and Tim Roth thought that he was the hero. He was following orders on behalf of the government, and he was also really under the control of this drug, this super soldier serum that probably altered his thinking and altered his just his pattern of behavior. And he thought he was going to be Captain America, and he, he wasn't treated that way. Instead, he was thrown in a supermax prison. And so again, what I was thinking about is, you know, what is what is the responsibility of those with power, right? Like mm -hmm. he had power. And his responsibility was to follow orders as a member of the government, but he was punished for it. Whereas mm -hmm. Bruce was ultimately treated as the hero, although they were, you know, they were really at odds only because the government saw the Hulk as a threat, not as a as an ally. So what did you think about just seeing that that I guess apparent change of heart at least from what we what we were presented with in that incredible Hulk film, which came out so long ago at this point. Yeah. You know, he's presented as more of a traditional villain there, but now we're seeing like the thought process and the development really go into what his thinking was at that particular time. It's also really interesting that, like, they kind of throw away the fact that this dude was, like, power-hungry <laughs> in that movie. His character was, like, the fastest running because of the serum. I don't know. He just had a lot going on in terms of how crazy he still was, even as a soldier. I think uh, I think we'll see some of that stuff possibly resurface, too, in, in whatever uh, happens in, in this case. But, uh, uh, man, seeing Tim Roth here, it's kind of it's weird just the tonal shift between that movie and where we are now it's just like i'm like watching tim ross say his lines and i'm like where are we <laughs> because you could tell he like i don't know he's having to like even change his character uh a lot than what he what he did in in the original film um in order to, to fit this show and so it's it's i don't know it's it's like me trying to figure out what that balance looks like between again that seriousness and tone but that the mcu has and like having to have a little bit of comedy to make this guy seem sincere you know what i mean to make him seem like the dude's talking about he's, he's written haikus and all kind of stuff <laughs> um to, to to try to figure this out um and so uh uh it's interesting though that because that's an amazing argument at first right until we get the rest of it but that's an amazing argument though it's like you're just following orders and you get punished for that mm. The government, mm, you know, it's, it's, that's the lawyer stuff. That's like, cool. I want to see that argued in the courtroom. Let's go there next. Like, how do we how do we talk about this? And so, again, I love, that's what I love about lawyer shows is the very basic stuff. It's like, give me the, the, the plaintiff, who's defending him, what are the arguments that we're going to come with, and have to go defend that in court. You know, I, I love that. Um, and so I love, I like that they're, they're building that up. I think to a point of, of where, you know, it, it'll be pleasing to watch. And I hope we really do get there um, in the ways and what I'm looking for. But, man, I, I, I think it's cool to finally see at least Tim Roth come back. Um, I, clearly, we're going to see a ton of him um, here coming up soon. We, I, I, I'm not – Thunderbolt still haven't been confirmed in terms of characters yet, huh? But not quite, yeah. I'm like, look, y'all, this dude is right here. Clearly, this dude's going to be in Thunderbolts. If he's not, then – Something I don't know. We're missing something, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I I I'm I'm fine with him being back here. It's it's just gonna take me, I think, a little bit to ease back into his character again after seeing how crazy he was in the Incredible Hulk. It's gonna take me a little bit of of, of time to get used to him being uh, uh more now that the the MCU tone is established. It's gonna take me a little bit to get to to that that feel for his character in particular. Interesting you say that. Tim Roth has talked about how difficult it was to come back into this role now after being away from it for so long. And he he mentioned just the acting and how challenging that was for him to just like try to re 
orients himself to being this character after being away for so long and the mcu has changed drastically since then like it's nothing like what it really used to be i mean there's a few things that have remained of course but that incredible hulk film from 2008 again i think it's like a redheaded stepchild just because of how different it was you know when they were making that film there's no way they were thinking about a she hulk series like they, mm-hmm. they they didn't have that on the brain at that particular time so there was no way to connect these dots but now that he's in this new world i think the exact reason that this conversation here is for the legal aspect, not only because he could talk about following orders, but he was using the super ser- super uh, soldier serum as well. And that that's absolutely some good evidence that can be presented to get him the parole that they're looking for, because ultimately it's it's parole that they want. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know how far of a, of a, of a trial it will go to. Maybe it, maybe it does go all the way there. I would hope so, at least with this with this type of s- series. But I think that that's really substantial stuff that they can lean back on and talk about a lot and, and, and really dissect what that super soldier serum did to him mentally and how that might have influenced his behavior and made him made him the ambitious power hungry soldier at that particular time who wanted more power who sought out more abilities because of what he was able to achieve and so i think that it's a really it's a really critical conversation that they'll that we'll see circle back to but ultimately it's nice to also have tim roth back here as in, in the mcu he's he's a really really fine actor he's really really great in almost everything he does so to have his talents back is also really pleasant for me personally just because i'd like to see him and see what else he can do as abomination because that's a that's a really good character that they haven't touched since Mm -hmm. that film just you know due to the the nature of just how different it feels from everything else but i'm glad that they've you know decided to to ultimately bring him back and integrate him into the story um i want to quickly talk about just some of the the wider connections to the mcu that are being made in this show which were you know really established last week but they do even more sort of crazy things this week in particular there were a lot of just like cool easter eggs nods to other things probably questions that we had but while we're talking about abomination as he was talking about these haikus that he wrote he did also mention that he has like seven soulmates that he considers pen pals (laughs) that has to be the thunderbolts right like you just mentioned the thunderbolts movie these seven soulmates he doesn't explicitly call them out that but that has to be thunderbolts i'm thinking Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know what else it could be unless the dude is really out here on some polygamy um <laughs> but that that's what i thought too though i was like me i mean is this a nod to thunderbolt i hope so that's i mean it has to be it um and if so i like that there's actually a number there it's like okay now we can say these are the seven or i guess eight because seven other people right correct yeah eight yeah of them. so mm-hmm. these are the eight people that are going to be in the thunderbolts we can actually put a real list together to say these are the people so I, again i really hope that 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 was it um because if not, again, I'm lost. The dude got seven women out there. I don't know what's going <laughs> on. <laughs> Yo, I don't know how that works in prison. But um, I, I, I'm wondering who those other seven might be. We, we've gotten, like, rumors about, like you said, who who's going to be a part of Thunderbolts? Who's going to actually be in that movie? The rumor names are Baron Zemo. I think that's a lock. He's typically, yeah, like, associated lock. as the leader, mm-hmm. leader of the Thunderbolts. Elena Belova, that makes two. I remember mm-hmm. they mentioned Taskmaster, Ghost from Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's four. Um, Abomination makes five. Of course, John Walker, U.S. agent, that's six. Maybe Winter Soldier. You know, Bucky comes back mm-hmm. as a part of that crew. That would be seven. I don't, I don't know who would be eight. I'm trying to think of who else could possibly be a part of it that would make, that would make sense. Uh, I can't think off the top of my head. I don't know if they would bring in maybe... Maybe Agatha. Maybe that, a Taskmaster. You say Taskmaster? I said Taskmaster, yeah. I think mm. he was rumored to be a part of that. I don't know if it's Agatha or if 
maybe if the eighth is 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 Contessa, you know, she's the one that assembles them. Maybe she's yeah. considered like the eighth one. That that's also a potential, you know, sort of case that can be made. I don't know of any other particular heroes that fit that sort of like anti-hero mode that might that might be good fits, but it'll be interesting if it is indeed the Thunderbolts. Like you said, I like that we do have a number. If it's like the eight, it's almost like the hateful eight. You know, it's it's mm. kind of like it's bringing together these rogues, which you know we know Thunderbolts is their version of the Suicide Squad. It's their version of Task Force X. Which again, I think that this also is really, really cool because if the case can be made that he does get some sort of parole, maybe is one of those conditions that leads us into Thunderbolts. Like, yes, we'll parole you. However, you have to perform some specific tasks on behalf of the government. You have mm-hmm. to do some specific work for us whenever we call you. And that can be Contessa coming into this. We might even see her in this show. Actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, she's probably going to be in this show. Like, it kind of makes sense because she's been assembling the Thunderbolts, right? She's been in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. She appeared in Black Widow. I feel like this is kind of the next step for Contessa to, to, to pop up as a character and, and, and start to assemble even more members from the Thunderbolts. Because we're only about two years away from that movie now. So it seems yeah, like time. they're putting the pieces in play for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like I remember them talking about somebody got cast as Songbird. For- oh, wow. And I, it was somebody notable too that I remember. I, I was like, "Oh shoot!" I, I might have missed that. Yeah, I remember hearing rumors that somebody got cast as Songbird. Um, who was it? It was because I think the most the most notable characters that'll probably Sa- be a Sadie part of Thunderbolts or coming from Sadie Sink. Sadie Sink. Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, I, that, that's that's definitely news to me. I didn't know that Sadie Sink had signed up for the MC. <laughs> but if that's, if that's true, that's really cool though. That's really really cool if they got Sadie Sink here. But I think. I think a lot of the characters from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier make sense to be a part of the the Thunderbolts Mm -hmm. world because they're a lot more grounded characters. But um, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But now that I say that out loud, I think I think Contessa appearing here in one of these post credit scenes. It seems like every episode might have like a a mid credit scene. I could see her popping up and recruiting Abomination maybe after they settle Mm -hmm. whatever the trial will ultimately be. We also saw as Jennifer was like scrolling through her phone. There were some related articles that popped up on the side. One of them said, man fights with metal claws in bar brawl. Um, I don't know who else got metal claws out here except Wolverine, <laughs> but Wolverine in the MCU? Is that confirmed now? Is this just like a throwaway gag? We also saw another article that said, why is there a giant statue of a man sticking out of the ocean? Finally. Finally, somebody <laughs> talks about what happened in Eternals. Like, yes, the celestial thing is literally in in i think it was the indian ocean just like there now so finally it's addressed but um i think the more important one obviously is this metal claws one is that wolverine are we are we saying that he's here or is that just like hey y'all we're poking fun we know the x-men are coming we're just trying to whet your appetite with this nah bro that's wolverine all the way there's no other reason or way for them to, to to talk about a nigga in the bar with claws. It's just very. It's so specific because there's no. Specific. There's nobody else <laughs> in all of Marveldom who 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 has that Nino man. Um, I think it it's really interesting because you can start reading into it. It's like okay, so they're not gonna, you know what I mean? Come up with X Men just started existing yes today. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it's 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 cool to see that because it starts debunking some of the kind of crazier things I think that we were expecting. Um, even how it's crazy how small that is. It's like, yeah, we can actually read a little bit and just a little bit, but read a little bit into that and say, okay, there's this is Wolverine is somewhere out there in this world, and clearly he already has his adamantium claws. 
okay, he doesn't have to be the oldest person in the world, <laughs> but we we do know that he exists, and so uh, I was just happy to see it. I was like, damn, this is some wild Easter egg. First you do it with Miss Marvel, the music is happening now. The next show, you got Wolverine. Okay, let's keep it going then. Let's we'll see what happens. By the end of the season, well, there might be something else mutant that pops up in the show. It would not surprise me. Uh, again, because uh, before this even show came out, I was like, watch the show make connections to everything. And it, so far, it's it's doing a pretty good job of, of proving me right. <laughs> um, but, but we'll see what happens. So everything that they do is very intentional. Nothing is by accident. And so I'll cover my ass and say, if it is Wolverine, they've set it up here very nicely that they can ultimately introduce I do think it's just a throwaway gag, though, if I'm being honest. I think it's meaningless. I think I think that they're actually probably going to address it in the show. There might be, like, a post-credit scene <laughs> in a bar of, like, a guy with, like, I don't know, some That'd makeshift claws, hilarious. and he gets into a fight. I think that's the type of show this is kind of setting out to be. Like, they're kind of poking fun at us as fans with this stuff. And so I feel like it's just a gag. I really do. I don't think it actually signals to wolverine it might it very well might but i'm i'm gonna go with the opposite and say that they're fucking with us um which they they've done before they've they've set us up for disappointment and i would hate for people to get excited about something that's ultimately probably not gonna happen but i could totally (laughs) see them coming back to this like there's a bar there's a fight and some somehow some guy with some claws shit it might be ulysses claw i don't know i mean i I know he died in black panther (laughs) but maybe they can do it do it that way i don't know um we also saw like there was a small just like little brief thing just circling back to the whole captain america conversation from last week her lock screen is a picture of captain america's ass like it's literally (laughs) a picture of steve rogers in his backside uh i thought that that was hilarious because she's very much in love with this man obviously and she loves that he's not a virgin so she obviously has him (laughs) in his lock screen with his ass just there so that was funny but we did see hulk once in this episode he came back immediately which i was not expecting He's on a Sakarian ship, and we saw that Sakar ship pop up yes. last week. It caused the car accident. He's in the ship, and he's going somewhere. Where is he going? Are, is he going back to Sakar? Is that the is that the key? Are they trying to set up something here? A lot of people, a lot of people are talking about World War Hulk and that possibly being a thing. I know we we discussed that last week. I I don't know how that works, but are they setting up something potentially bigger here, or is this mostly just a method to get him out of the show so that we can focus on Jen? I think it's the cover. All of those things. I think it's one of those things. It's like, if we do this, then we could do whatever the hell we want to do. Um, I, first and foremost, this, this show is about She-Hulk. Introduce her cousin, who's very important in her life. Have important moments. Get him the hell out of there. I love that they did that. Because now everybody's not looking for the Hulk every week. Um, two, it's also very much... If Mark Ruffalo, low-key, was like, I don't feel like doing this no more. The nigga went back to the car. <laughs> right about the MCU and right about the MCU. That's it. Because you have She Hulk now. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's an easy pass of shoot. If 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 uh if Captain America is presumed dead, but really with his babe back in the 1940s, this man could be on a different planet doing whatever the hell he wants to do. They may not presume him dead, but he just be missing for a very long time. You know what I mean? Um, so they could really do that. What I yeah, need. I think- Oh, sorry. To, Go yeah. ahead. What I need to happen, World War Hulk has to happen, bro. I know it, we, we've been talking about it a lot, but like, it's just, we need an MCU, just good Mark Ruffalo Hulk film. It doesn't have to be a trilogy. 
like a lot of these other movies or like a lot of these, like Thor or or Iron Man or Captain America. It doesn't have to be a trilogy. Just give me one good World War Hulk where he's going through it. He ends up whipping some ass. I'll be very happy. He could take his exit after that. I'll, I'll be very fulfilled by that just because like we haven't gotten that movie. Um, and so I'd be OK with that. One other thing that they could they could be planting. We got to remember this man was on Sakaar for a couple years stuck in Hulk form. His son may be there. We don't know, but Scar could very much exist, especially in a world where they keep bringing up every young Avenger under the sun that has yet to be confirmed as a young Avenger. If they were like, Hulk went back to Sakaar to see his son, that he was, that maybe that's why they came to find him. You know what I'm saying? Like, did you know he had a son, bro? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and, and they're sending him back. So he's like, what? I got a son. I got to hop on the ship and go see him. You know what I'm like instantly go go see him. And so if that's the case, put in both World War Hulk and his son in a movie sounds genius to me. I think it's a great setup. But I also love how technically they don't have to do anything with it instantly either. You know what I'm saying? Um and knowing he's in space feels very comfortable to me too, because we know all kind of stuff is about to go down in space between Secret Invasion or we don't know what's happening, particularly with Ant-Man stuff. But in case he is needed as an Avenger, he's already out there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so I think no matter what, where they decide to go here, I think it was just a really cool thing to do. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the most obvious thing is the Sun storyline with Scar. I feel like that that's... Uh... I feel like that that's probably the most notable thing because whilst with that Sakarian ship come looking for Hulk, it doesn't that's seem true. necessarily confrontational. He's now on the ship, mm -hmm. probably going back to Sakar, so it does achieve multiple things. With World War Hulk, I would love to see that. I really would. I think it's it's one of their most popular storylines. It's also really really epic. It just does not seem like they're in any position to do that from a story mm -hmm. perspective. Like. They have not really put in motion any of that stuff quite yet. They, I think that that will require quite a lot of work because mm -hmm. if we're being honest, a World War Hulk movie could be an Avengers movie. That, that's an Avengers mm. level movie. Well, just the amount of characters that, that are going to you know have to pop up there um, because Hulk is the protagonist and the antagonist. It's and so um, I don't I don't know if they're really setting that up in that position. I don't know if they're there yet. I you know, and that's that's barring all the legal stuff that exists. We already talked about that. We know that that's a thing, but I think just like, you know, blue sky situation if it were to happen, even from a story perspective, it doesn't seem like they've even put that in motion. Mm -hmm. This could be that. This could be planting the seeds ultimately for something that they might pay off in I don't know, 5 or 6 years maybe, but I would struggle to think how they would be setting that up right now, um, just considering how much legwork would have to occur. Should be noted that there are like eight or nine release dates that have no titles yet associated with them in like phase six. So there could be like three or four more projects that come out that could do something of that of that effect. But it's hard to see right now, so I'm not really sure. Um, but as we wrap up here, the ending of the series shows us that Abomination ultimately escapes the prison that he's in, this Department of Damage Control prison. And we see him... As the way we saw him in, in uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, he's fighting in Macau with Wong in the, in, in the underground fight club uh, that, that was being run there. And so we got very much uh, that connective tissue between that movie and this series. Um, and that's going to lead us into next week. So obviously Jennifer's going to be representing somebody who isn't going to be 
probably the best person to represent just be mm-hmm. based off the fact that he he's not cooperating and maybe all the stuff he said isn't really true like yes he's kind of reformed but not 100 percent right. um any thoughts expectations with what we'll see next week and just with the remaining episodes of of the season my thought is how that i know he's the sorcerer supreme but this nigga was sneaking this nigga out (laughs) to go fight in underground fighting rings i'm just like trying to figure out wong's intentions with abomination at first in my again in my mind i just thought he was looking after him because he had the power to do that but now i'm like thinking like wong you have a reason like wong has like i don't know some some kind of something in him that's like i must help this guy understand his powers and i don't know exactly 100 percent what that motivation is and i'm interested to see that come to light in the show i think we know wong is here eventually gonna pop up and i hope to get some, like some explanation like none of the, or, or even give me a quick glimpse of how you were sneaking this big ass i guess not but uh, uh, he was in a big cell at least he wasn't always abomination mm-hmm. in the cell but like there's people watching this dude 24 7 like man you really snuck this dude out really easily like it wouldn't even look hard for him he was just doing it um so uh, i can't wait to see some of that stuff um but man, I, 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 again, I'm, I'm really excited to see the ways in which this case goes down, because I love, I love how it's like, okay, this case is going to be easy. We're arguing this, we're arguing that. Live footage, first of all, who's recording? Who, who's recording the ring? I feel like step one in an underground ring is take these niggas' phones or like, you know what I'm saying? Like turn off. Like the how, first rule about Fight Club: you don't you talk don't, about Fight Club. Don't talk about Fight Club. So like, <laughs> why is this happening? It's crazy to me. Um, and I think that person should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> uh, but but it's it's yeah. I, I think it's a cool problem to present. It's like you say you're refined, but here you are fighting in a, a underground you know ring. And I actually love that. Uh, uh, maybe this does gives us a small nod to to, to the ten rings um, and, and what's going on there. Um, hopefully something gets said there. again I just think there's so much that this show can connect man it's crazy between Abomination what we're seeing with Hulk and, and, and Ten Rings maybe possibly here and we know Matt Murdock is still coming it's like damn she Hulk is legit she's she's some glue that she's more glue I think than we're still giving her credit for just because we haven't seen it yet but I can I can see it all transpiring so again I'm just really excited to see how this case goes down um, and to see uh uh even uh, it's still a Marvel show at the end of the day. Whenever the action happens, I just hope it's really good action. That's all. That's all I want. Um, in in yeah, looking looking forward to it, man. That's all I got. I think this reflects She Hulk's presence in the comics. She's very much a connective piece to to a lot of these different characters. She has relationships with a lot of these factions, a lot of these entities, and these characters throughout the Marvel universe. So they're doing that, I think, in a really effective way thus far here. Hence why we are getting probably so many cameos here. I think Wong absolutely shows up next week. He has to explain what's going on here and why he decided to break Abomination out, at least temporarily, to participate in that fighting ring. Maybe Wong is privy to contessa's scheme to assemble a thunderbolts team and he's trying to combat that maybe he's trying to win over abomination before she can ultimately get to him i don't know if wong as the sorcerer supreme is dealing with such earthly problems as the thunderbolts (laughs) that kind of seems below him he is Mm -hmm. the sorcerer supreme for goodness sakes but it'll be interesting to see what the reason is but i can't wait until next week to find out what that is but with that being said ladies and gentlemen that's all we have for this episode of two black nerds thank you again for tuning into another podcast we will be back early next week with our traditional episode 
episode to talk about episode two of the game of thrones prequel series house of the dragon certainly can't wait to get to the next episode of that we also got to talk about three thousand years of longing the new george miller film starring idris elba and tilda swinton and we're going to be doing something a little bit different doing something a little bit fun to commemorate the recent 10th anniversary of independent film studio a24 we are going to be counting down our respective top 10 a24 movies of all time i promise y'all they've come out with so many bangers over the years this is going to be extremely tough this might be the toughest list that we ever put together but certainly can't wait to do that in tuesday's upcoming episode and then obviously we will be back next friday to talk about she hulk attorney of law episode three so definitely stay tuned for everything we have coming out over the course of the next week but until then we'll see y'all next time yes yes with that being said y'all we're audi 5000 please check out our nerds of thunder collection at twoblacknerds.com this is the year of 2022 black nerds remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy, and we out, y'all. Peace.